Have you ever wondered what a horror movie is like from the perspective of the villain? Me too. Let's find out. Hey everybody, this is the MPC Graveyard. I'm the MPC, and today we are straight from the B-side with Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I have to admit that over the past few years, I spent a lot of time looking for this film on DVD. You know, for not an absurd price. It kind of disappeared from most retailers at one point. Rose surprised me with it a few weeks ago as an early birthday present, and my oh my, was it worth the wait. Spoilers to follow. Okay. So the movie starts out in a world where the slasher antagonists, such as Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and Freddy Krueger, exist infamously. We begin with a three-person film crew going to meet a man called Leslie Vernon, who offered them the opportunity to film him. The movie becomes a documentary focusing on how Leslie was going to become a famous serial killer. Through various interviews, he shows them his workout routine, how to select slash prime a victim, and a chance to meet his mentors before having a step-by-step -step guide to the night of the big killing spree. At the last minute, the crew decides to turn against Leslie by trying to warn those victims of the oncoming attack, only to become part of his plan as well. So can I just say what a wonderful concept this is? I mean, the pure simplicity of the idea alone is magical. We've all seen one slasher movie or another, but seeing it from the eyes of a killer themselves is not something we see very often. Yes, Peeping Tom technically did it first, but anyway. The movie came out in 2006, right between Scream and Cabin in the Woods, the two major powerhouses when it came to the metagame of horror films. So one of the big things that I love about this film is the dual nature of reality that it gives off. There's the time in reality mode when the crew and Leslie are doing their documentary, and the second is movie mode, where everyone is slightly overacting in the stereotypical horror movie fashion. The film starts out in movie mode, where we first see Leslie stalking his survivor girl and scaring her out of the corner of her eye. When we switch over almost immediately to the cheaper documentary cameras as the crew introduces themselves. It turns out the entire scare was done by using a precise combination of sleight of hand and careful timing that Leslie explains to the crew as they film it. We spend most of the film in reality mode, switching over to movie mode now and then before the two combine at the very end of the film. It really shows you how normal people react to horror characters. Screaming from the audience, almost ready to slap them in the face for being so blatantly stupid in the situation. What really attests to the acting is how reality mode feels like a real live documentary crew, and movie mode seamlessly feels like we've been watching a slasher film from the start. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Water helps clear your throat, and keeps you alive. Water. Anyway. <clears throat> As we go through the process, Leslie shows us the painstaking measures that he has to go through just to ensure that he has a chance to have his big night. The first step was to find a local legend. 
this case being how a young child was thrown over a cliff by an angry mob. He then spent a long time finding the perfect girl who had friends in multiple circles, i.e. the jock, the stoner, the popular girl, etc. And we go all the way down to setting up the house that he was going to trap them in, rigging it up only as necessary as possible in order to have the perfect mass murder. The whole progression really caught my attention and kept it through the entire movie. There were a few moments, I admit, that I would have rather watched the movie mode side of things. They actually had to film both. Fast-forwarding through much of the movie mode process, as Leslie explained it. Now, despite Leslie having the obvious upper hand, the film showed just how easy it would have been for his entire plan to fail before that big night even happened. The clues he left to his lore may not have been picked up. The group could have chosen a different that path of events than Leslie first predicted. Hell, their survivor girl could have picked up a weapon that Leslie hadn't tampered with, and then he would have been the one who was killed. He even goes into the topic at length at one point, debating that any one of them could easily kill him if his calculations were off. It sort of brought things into the perspective that the chain of events were only slightly in Leslie's favor. Adrenaline could have kicked in unexpectedly for one of the victims. I mean, Leslie wasn't like Michael or Jason. His body may have been toned from his training, but he was still mortal. Still fully capable of dying if his vital points were hit. He was actually short in the arm. Shart? Shart? Shart. God damn it, it's been a day. He was actually shot in the arm at one point, pretending it didn't affect him, but having to stitch himself up after the encounter. <coughs> this podcast is brought to you by water, which can also kill you if you drink it too fast. <coughs> oh, water. <clears throat> Let's take a moment to enjoy some of the other characters that were featured in this film. Two of the big examples were Eugene and his wife, who acted as mentors to Leslie. Eugene is a, is a retired, and I quote, supernatural serial killer who, to this day, still keeps up his skills with a knife and spends long hours in a sensory deprivation tank. The two of them talk about the past as if it were a history lesson, showing how jobs were more simple, with less preparation, but they required more quantity over quality. They admired the legends like Michael and Jason, who brought the business to the next level by becoming living curses, but breaking the fourth wall for the 80s, 90s slasher overhaul. Too many hacks came into the slasher world, cheapening the name when they were either caught or killed. They also acted like parents to Leslie, seeing him off on the big night like he was going to college, or becoming excited when his Ahab showed up. By the way, Robert England is in this movie as Dr. Halloran. He becomes an important figure to Leslie as his Ahab, a reference to Moby Dick, as someone hunting down Leslie to try and stop his reign of terror. As Leslie's former doctor, he followed him back to the town to try and stop him by any means necessary knowing that Leslie planned on going on a killing spree without a shred of regret. Dr. Halloran also performed one of the best crossovers between the two worlds. 
he figured out that the crew was meeting with Leslie, startling them at a local restaurant that changed the mood on a dime from an idle conversation to a harbinger's warning of just how dangerous Leslie could be. The movie gets serious when the big night is finally set into motion. While Leslie is killing his first two victims, it dawns on the crew that this was real. Everything leading up to that moment was fun and games. They had all become something akin to friends during the course of the documentary. And then two people died, causing the denial of fantasy to come crashing down. Leslie returns and immediately realizes the mood has changed. He shoes the crew out in an instant, telling them that they need to leave because he can see the regret on their faces. So this is the part where the famous Cabin in the Woods line comes to light. If they don't transgress, they can't be punished. The crew has the option to leave. They almost do it too, but they ultimately decide that they have to try and save these stupid, and I mean literally, idiotic teenagers. They barge right into the house, knowing that they will be incurring the wrath of an up-and-coming slasher. Unfortunately for them, Leslie has planned for this. He set up a different scenario in motion that also included the crew jumping into the mix. He changed his plan ever so slightly. So even though the crew knew what he was planning to do, he was still able to surprise them so he could continue picking off the teenagers one at a time. Now, I won't give away the full ending because I think that it in itself was brilliantly executed. But watching the crew work to keep the survivor girl within their sight and try and stop all of her friends from falling into Leslie's traps was a true innovation. We kind of skipped from Scream to Scream 3 in that, Scream 3 in that regard. Because once the crew began to try and stop the killings, Leslie threw all the rules right out the window. Well, that's just about all the time for today. I know I'm kind of biased because I love slasher fix, and I spent a long time seeking this one out, but Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon receives a full recommendation for a B-side film. Alright, thanks for tuning in. Always check the back seat, and welcome to the graveyard.